the logistics behind Toys for Tots, industry predictions for 2024, and the growth of the electric vehicle market. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by PERC, the Propane Education and Research Council. Propane is a safe, reliable energy for material handling. Propane-powered forklifts may improve air quality inside your facilities for a healthier, more productive workforce. See how propane can give your productivity a boost at propane.com forklifts. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, each year, the United States Marine Corps Reserve and its partners undertake one of the nation's largest toy drives, known as Toys for Tots. It's a goal to assure that all children have toys for Christmas morning. It takes an army, or rather a Marine Corps, of volunteers and corporate partners to pull it all off. To find out more about the logistics behind the annual campaign, here is Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is retired Marine Colonel Ted Sylvester, who is also Vice President of Marketing and Development for the U.S. Marine Toys for Tots Foundation. Welcome, Colonel. Hello, Victoria. Thank you for having me today. Oh, it's great to have you here. Um, I think most people are familiar with the Toys for Tots program, but can you briefly describe its origins and what the organization does today? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Toys for Tots is an official activity of the United States Marine Corps, um, and it's been, uh, this is our 76th year, so it's been around for a long time. Started in 1947 with Reserve Major Bill Hendricks and his Marines in Los Angeles, where they were able to uh, collect and distribute, uh, you know, toys to roughly 2,000 children. Um, and then fast forward 76 years later, uh, we've uh, distributed uh, over 650 million toys to 291 million children, uh, which does not include this year. You know, uh, last year was a record year for, for Toys for Tots. Uh, our Marines and volunteers distributed over 24 million toys to 10 million children in need. And we uh, are expecting uh, similar results this year. Sadly, the need is great. Um, we're getting um, reports from from many of our our local chapters. We have 864 local uh, uh, community uh, Toys for Tots collection distribution points in all 50 states and U.S. territories, and we receive a lot of requests from them. You know, as as good as our Marines are at collecting toys and and uh, uh, locally, you know, they they fall short. You know, compared to the number of children they're supporting. So that's where the foundation comes in with help from our our corporate partners and generous individuals. We're able to augment uh, their toy drives with many toys. Those are some amazing numbers. Um, it must take so much work to coordinate all of this behind the scenes. You know, you mentioned volunteers, um, but also managing the distribution and delivery. Where do you begin? Uh, you know, how early do you start preparing for all of this? How does it start? Yes, well, um, those of us at the foundation, we have a small staff of 25 and we work year round. Um, and, and we actually, uh, we have a, uh, it really starts at the beginning of the year, you know, so so in January, we're, we're collecting all the after actions from our local, uh, you know, uh, chapters. Um, we have an annual audit in February, uh, so to keep our, our, our activities uh, verified and, and transparent. And then we begin a lot of our year round activity to include, uh, uh, we purchase a lot of toys in the spring time frame, you know, to be shipped uh, in, in the fall uh, to our all holiday campaigns. And then, um, 
we, we are recruiting, you know, new uh, uh, campaign coordinators in, in counties and areas where we don't have a Toys for Tots campaign in, in, the, in the winter and, and spring. And then we bring our coordinators in for training, uh, for a three-day training conference in September to get them uh, ready to go uh, to set up their campaigns, which begin in October. So the, the coordination is, is pretty extensive for a, a local uh, campaign coordinator. Um, you know, wherever we have a Marine Reserve unit and then about 700 or so other locations where we don't have reserve units, we have choice, you know, an individual running as a campaign coordinator and they work with their, their local communities. It's a community action program and, and they build very large volunteer networks. They work, work with first responders, they work with local businesses, they work with their uh, local media, TV and radio outlets and, and uh, um, work with organizations to help identify the need of families uh, in their communities, and and uh, it's quite a quite a big effort and, and a lot of a lot of logistics involved. And when you're talking collecting and and distributing 24 million toys to 10 million kids, it takes a lot of hands. You know, we have about 40 to 45,000 volunteers that help out our our uh, holiday campaign. Um, you know, throughout the fall there, so it's a pretty big effort. Sounds like it. I, I'll ask about the the uh, nitty gritty of the logistics in a second. But first, you, you know, you mentioned a, a variety of different volunteer partners there. You said, you know, corporate partners, local volunteers. Like, can you sort of just encapsulate what's the, what's the scope of your volunteer network um, and from the corporate level down to local communities? Well, you know, uh, you know, about the 40, 45,000 individuals that volunteer, um, they're, they're individuals that make up the community. You know, they, they, they could be, uh, you know, Mom and dad and their and their kids helping out, you know, uh, co you know, collecting and sorting toys and distributing toys, or you know, it could be, um, you know, you know, Hasbro has a has a uh, global day of joy, and, and a lot of companies um, encourage their employees to get out there and work, and they have paid time off to go out and volunteer with with uh, you know local nonprofits and, and charities. So there's quite a few um, organizations that that encourage their employees to go out there and volunteer. And and uh, and again, it's really just a kind of combination of, of individuals in any given community that kind of, you know, that they, they uh, cumulatively add up to well over 40,000 people um, that are are helping us uh, collect, sort, and distribute toys to children in need in a pretty short time span, you know, in, in the fall mm -hmm. time frame. So how do you, do you handle the logistics? I mean, do you use your own warehouses, distribution centers? What about the transportation? How does how does all this come together? That, that's a, a great question because our, our, our 860 plus local chapters, um, almost all of them rely on temporarily donated warehouse space, you know, so, so they're out there as part of the uh, part of their setting up their campaign, they're working with a local business that say that has space and, and availability uh, to, to uh, use their warehouse. So, um, you know, that and that alone is, is pretty, pretty challenging. But uh, yeah, most of them use donated warehouse space uh, with the, the generosity of, of you know, local businesses in, in their community. The, uh, the transportation, um, again, just working with a lot of local businesses and, and uh, you know, rent, rental, you know, cars, is, it, it takes a lot of vans and, and small trucks mm -hmm. uh, to, to drive around and putting a volunteer network together uh, and, and, uh, and having access to some of those vehicles, as well as, you know, donating uh, gift ca gas cards, you know, for, for, for the gas, you know, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of logistics uh, getting boxes out. We always several hundred thousand toy collection boxes throughout the U.S., in the fall time frame, so we have to get those boxes out to participating businesses, and then they fill up with toys, and we have to get the toys back. So there's there's quite a bit of, uh, um, you know, uh, working with with local businesses and local individuals in each community in every state to you know to make that happen. And again, it all kind of falls on the uh, the local Toys for Tots campaign coordinator. You know, uh, our our hats off to them because uh, they they do a phenomenal job 
and of course Marines, you know, they're they're going to get the job done, uh, you know, regardless uh, of, of the challenges. Right. Yeah, that, that that is amazing. So volunteers at all levels, not just the toys, but the logistics services as well. Um, we write often about supply chain delays and disruptions, especially these last few years, and those could be caused by a variety of factors. How does an organization like yours sort of prepare for any potential snags in the supply chain? You, you mentioned, you know, Marines just get it done. I mean, how do you, that's probably just the attitude, right? Just deal with it. <laughs> Yes. Well, my uh, my counterpart in operations here at the foundation, um, he does all the uh, toy purchases and, and we buy toys in the millions, uh, you know, each year um, with the generous help we get from the public and, and our corporate partners. Um, but but uh, he, he obviously keeps a, a, an ear and eye to uh, to what's going on with the supply chain. Um, he does a lot of purchasing in the spring time frame. Not only is that off season taking advantage of, of uh, you know, lower cost, you know, per toy. Um, in the spring time frame, but knowing, um, you know, like, like, for example, in 2021, 20, 22, you know, a lot of disruptions there. Um, are we going to be able to get the, you know, uh, you know, the, the toys in our hands in time, you know, with our, our uh, um, toy vendors and whatnot. So we work with them very early in the year to get our, our first supplemental uh, toy purchase and, 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 and delivered. It doesn't get delivered to the fall, but we place the orders in the spring to kind of get ahead of any, any uh, potential issues with the supply chain there. This just occurred to me. But what's the breakdown between you know what you purchase in the spring and then the, what you get for volunteers? Uh, you know, I'm sorry, donations. Is it pretty much 50-50, yep. um, or how, how does that work? Well, um, last year, uh, I don't have the numbers for this year because we're still in the middle of it. But uh, last sure. year, we distributed uh, 24.4 million toys, and um, 14 million of those were collected locally. You know, from individuals mm -hmm. dropping one toy at a time in, in our in our toy collection bins. Uh, and we were able to augment, uh, you know, local toy efforts with with 10 million toys, and that's a combination of toys that we purchase, and toys that are uh, large in-kind product donations from from our our great partners, you know, like Hasbro, Disney, and Target, all, all the all the companies, you know, uh, Five Below mm -hmm. that that donate product, their their product. So, uh, 10 million of those 24 million toys were augmented, uh, you know, as a result of of uh, you know, individuals donating and and, uh, and companies uh, donating in-time product. Terrific, thank you. Um, you mentioned, you know, there's just a huge need this year. Is there anything else about um, the program or this year's drive that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, most people know Toys for Tots as a Christmas time charity, and as we have been for over 75 years now, and that's the vast majority, our biggest program is the holidays. Uh, but for the last five years, our, our um, president and CEO, Lieutenant General Jim Laster, has really, uh, you know, pushed, uh, we, we can, just, just because uh, the holidays are over doesn't mean the needs are over, right, from, from people. So we've been doing a lot of toy game and, and book distributions uh, all throughout the spring and summer. You know, for example, earlier this year, in the, uh, in the late winter and, and spring, we, we, uh, we, did, we provided a million toys to Title I funded schools because we also have a literacy program. We distributed six million books last year in addition to the toys. And we provided a hundred truckloads of toys uh, all, you know, to various nonprofits throughout the country uh, with our partner Good360. You know, whatever those local nonprofits do in the spring and summer, they might be uh, providing food or, or clothing or, or whatever they do, you know, we're, we're trying to add a toy, a game and book element to that. So, so uh, those are activities that we've been uh, keeping us busy all, all throughout the year. Um, you know, and then of course, uh, getting ready and in, in, in the heart of it now with our holiday campaign. And I imagine um, 
listeners who are looking for more information on, on those programs or, or the program overall, it's toysfortots.org. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. And we're okay. uh, very happy. Uh, we, we have a new website, uh, toysfortots.org. And, and uh, just to also let, let, let your listeners know that uh, we're very proud of our program support ratio. You know, we have a 97 to 3 program support ratio. That means every of every dollar that's donated, 97 cents goes directly to the program, putting toys in the hands of kids, and only three cents of every dollar that goes towards fundraising and admin costs. So we, we make good use of, of, of your donation, and it is a 100% uh, you know, donor-supported organization. So we, we are uh, blessed with a very generous population. Well, Ted, thank you for joining us today and, and, and explaining all this to us. It's, it's really been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Victoria. It's always great to uh, tell the Toy Scott story, and, and uh, you know, thanks for having me today. We have been talking with Colonel Ted Sylvester of the U.S. Marine Toys for Tots Foundation. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Colonel Sylvester and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about some forecasts looking ahead to 2024 in the logistics sector. Hopefully, we'll see some improvement over 2023. What are the experts predicting? Yeah, we're in the final days of December here, and this is always the time of year when industry experts look into their crystal balls and make predictions about the coming year. We get a lot of those here at the magazine, and depending on the company, they might focus on topics like freight or technology or economics. But today we're gonna to talk about real estate, which might sound dull, but that's where all the warehouses and distribution centers are, and that's what makes the, the whole logistics system tick. So we got a forecast of seven trends that could happen in 2024 from Prologis, the logistics real estate firm. And the top line one that caught my eye was that they predict that the global freight recession we've all been living through will reverse, demonstrated by what they think will be double digit growth in port and truck traffic. In Prologis's view, the Southern California region is likely to be among the first to benefit from that shift as import volumes at Los Angeles and Long Beach could exceed pre-pandemic levels. For proof points, they pointed to some numbers showing that those two combined ports have already seen a 46% resurgence in imports since their most recent trough in February. And that's because temporary factors, such as contract negotiations with dock workers and a post-pandemic bullwhip effect, have largely faded away. So overall, the firm had a sunny view of economic conditions in the coming year, saying that their outlook highlights 2024 as what they called a year of healthy demand growth, constrained supply, technological evolution of logistics facilities, and a turning of the capital market cycle, which is a reference to that balance that we've all been watching between inflation and interest rates. Well, Ben, it has been a pretty tight freight market for a few months now, and we could all use some good news. What else was in the forecast? Uh, right. The, the Prologis report had seven business predictions for 2024, and the remaining six were these. Um, they said that what they call a great construction bust will intensify with global building starts hitting the lowest level since the 2008 financial crisis. That's a reference to uh, fewer uh, you know, groundbreakings and construction beginnings uh, for new warehouses. Latin American rents, they said, will grow at more than double the global average, driven in part by a growing nearshoring trend that we've been tracking. Annual real estate demand in China will reach the second highest level on record, they said. 
technology, especially AI, will drive up the energy requirements in logistics facilities, and that could incentivize warehouse owners to double their solar capacity to generate more power to run the technology. Interest rate declines, they said, will double private equity real estate funding in 2024. That uh, They really think that interest rates are going to drop and that will make money easier to come by. And in another sort of angle on that same issue, they said that cap rate movements will reverse as those interest rates decline. What they mean by that sort of financial language is that the cost of capital is expected to decline in the US and Europe, although apparently it's supposed to rise in Japan. So lower interest rates will make it cheaper to borrow money or to carry debt, and that's always good for business growth. Yeah, it is good news, and hopefully it does play out that way in 2024. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Ben. And Victoria, you wrote this week about the potential for growth in electric vehicle markets. What did you find out? Yes, Dave, that's right. So electric vehicles for last mile delivery remain a de- uh, remain in demand around the world. And that's according to a recent market report from a research firm called Global Market Estimates. The group says the EV market for last mile delivery will grow at a nearly 16% compound annual growth rate over the next five years. And that's driven largely by demand for more sustainable business practices in general, as well as government policies and incentives to purchase EVs. Uh, Worldwide commitment to environmentally friendly urban logistics is a major factor behind the prediction as well, um, as many governments and businesses strive to reduce carbon emissions in urban areas. Victoria, are there particular industries or segments that are driving all this? Yes, there are. So the food delivery services segment is expected to hold the largest share of the market, and that'll be followed by retail delivery, which includes uh, things like small business, local shops, and then package delivery services. The report also outlines the type of vehicles most in demand, and those are light-duty vehicles, which are cars, vans, SUVs, pickup trucks. They'll hold the largest share of the market for that EV delivery going forward. Um, And medium and heavy duty vehicles are expected to see the fastest growth over the next five years. We've written quite a a bit about uh, research, development, and testing of those larger vehicles, as well as adoption in some areas. So there's an expected continuation of that trend as well. By region, North America will hold the largest share of the market, and Asia Pacific is set to experience the fastest growth in adoption of EVs for that last mile. Um, This all comes amid slowing adoption of EVs in the consumer market, at least here in the United States. But on the logistics side, it seems there is still growing interest in anticipated adoption. Um, And that's probably a really good thing, given the accelerated delivery volume over the past few years. Um, It's interesting, we posted a report in late November stating that um, middle and last mile delivery vehicles making their rounds this uh, holiday season will emit roughly 32 million metric tons of carbon dioxide. That's enough to fill 7 million Olympic-sized swimming pools. So that seems like an awful lot to me. So I think anything the industry can do to reduce those levels is uh, probably a good idea. Yeah, you're right. It definitely puts us on the right road. Thanks, Victoria. (laughs) You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links to read more about the topics that we discussed today. And we'd like to thank Colonel Ted Sylvester of Toys for Tots for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platforms. 
Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by PERC, the Propane Education and Research Council. Propane is a safe, reliable energy for material handling. Propane-powered forklifts may improve air quality inside your facilities for a healthier, more productive workforce. See how propane can give your productivity a boost at propane.com slash forklifts. We're taking next week off to enjoy the holidays with our families, so this will be our last podcast of 2023. Thanks to our listeners and sponsors for making our fourth season of Logistics Matters such a success. We'll be back again on January 5th to launch Season 5, when our guest will be well-known economist Jason Shanker of Prestige Economics, who will share his forecast for supply chains and the economy in general for 2024, so be sure to join us. should be a good interview. Until then, for Ben and Victoria and the rest of us at DC Velocity, we wish you a truly very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year that is filled with peace and joy. Thanks for listening.